Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Aokawa. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Yay. Yay. <laughs> the gang's all here. Yeah. And Bowie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and today we're going to be discussing chapters eight and nine. So, of, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> no, of, <laughs> of The Great oh. Gatsby. <laughs> oh, I didn't do the reading. I'm going to have to think my way through this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll do our... Uh, recap summary thing and uh, then jump into discussion yay yay all right so chapter eight opens with a series of excuses (laughs) (laughs) hughes has a ton of work waiting in central roy can't leave the east headquarters hawkeye has to babysit roy and the rest of the team have no confidence in their ability to protect ed against someone so dangerous this leaves ed crushed up against the corner of their train seat by major armstrong's enormous bulk wondering why they had to send this guy though He's that guy where you sit, uh, like the one who's too takes up too much space on an airplane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. Yep. And then flashback to get the full scene leading up to this decision. Armstrong is deeply emotionally moved by the Elric brothers' tale of tragedy and sacrifice and has decided to service their escort on their trip to see Ed's mechanic. Ed is mostly annoyed that somebody told him about their tragic backstory and also insists that he doesn't need a bodyguard until they remind him of the, you know, serial killer after him. <laughs> and the fact that he can neither defend himself nor carry Al with only one arm. Ed gripes some more, but it's very much settled. And with Al literally packed into a crate, because baggage fees are cheaper than travel fees, they're ready to head out. (laughs) Hughes comes to see them off before the train leaves, and also passes on a message from Roy. I won't allow you to die in my jurisdiction, because it'd be a pain to clean up the mess. Ed's message in reply is that there's no way he would die before him, except with a few more swear words thrown in. (laughs) Hughes laughs and says that they say the ruder you are, the luckier you are. In that case, you and Roy are going to live forever. With that, the train starts to pull away, and Hughes sees them off with a salute and an invitation to let him know if they're ever in Central sometime. As they travel, Armstrong asks Ed about the mechanic they're going to see, and Ed clarifies that it's a bit more complicated a job than that. Automail mechanics are also surgeons, weaponsmiths, and prosthesis experts. The people they're going to do good work and will give him a good deal because he's known them for so long. Armstrong then asks about Resinbull, the town they're heading toward. Ed says it's just a quaint little town out in the middle of nowhere. A lot of it actually got destroyed in the Civil War, and Ed knows that it might be more bustling if the military had been more on top of things. Still, he concludes with an obviously fond smile that it's a nice, quiet place with a lot of things you can't get in the city. That's my and Al's hometown, Resinbull, he says. Ed then checks to make sure Armstrong actually got Al onto the train, and he confirms that he did, in the livestock car, with the sheep, <laughs> in case he got lonely. <laughs> I like it. Sounds like a great way to travel. Yeah. <laughs> Ed protests this treatment of his brother very loudly, which catches the attention of their fellow passengers, which include a very familiar woman with a very familiar Ouroboros tattoo. (laughs) The train stops at a small town station on their way. Ed sleeps and Armstrong reads, but then Armstrong catches sight of a man walking by on the platform. Dr. Marco, he calls, leaning out the window. Aren't you Dr. Marco? It's Alex Louis Armstrong from Central. The man looks absolutely terrified and takes off running. Ed asks who he was talking to, and Ed explains that Marco was a skilled alchemist who worked in the research department in Central. He specialized in medical alchemy, but vanished during the Civil War. Ed quickly decides that they should get off the train here, since someone specializing in medical alchemy might know something about biological transmutation, too. And they hurry to get the baggage, including Al, off the train. Not someone who's just, like, stitching people and dogs together last time. (laughs) Like, let's try something else. Yeah. (laughs) This sounds like you know something about medical alchemy, not biological alchemy. (laughs) Like, let's try this, this, uh, this healing people thing. That sounds better. Yeah. Although he ran away, so... Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about that, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, they're not the only ones to decide to make this pit stop. 
Dr. Marco, Lust says from the shadows. Well, well. Ed and Armstrong ask the locals about the man they're looking for, helped by Armstrong's portrait drawing skills that have been passed down the Armstrong line for generations, <laughs> and find out that Marco is now going by Morrow, the town doctor who treats people for free, even those others say have no hope of survival. There's a flash of light, and then you're healed. Armstrong gives a little more detail on why Marco might be using an alias and hiding out in the countryside as they approach his home. Apparently, when Marco went missing, some top-secret research went missing as well, and the rumor was that he stole it and ran. Perhaps he thought we were sent to bring him back, Armstrong says. This guess is proven right when the two are immediately met by a panicked Marco wielding a gun when they open his front door. He shoots and thankfully misses hitting Ed, but he keeps the gun up as he demands to know why they're here and if they came to take him back. Armstrong tries several times to interrupt and calm him down, but Marco keeps talking, insisting he'll never go back and begging to be let go. Eventually, a frustrated Armstrong gets him to shut up by heaving the crate holding Al at him. <laughs> Seems dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Al's used to it by now. Yeah. <laughs> no, not dangerous for Al. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Of Ed's little horrified yeah. face in the corner of that panel. <laughs> he was also like looking back and forth between them in the panel above that too, which is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Once everybody calms down, Marco sits down and explains his flight from Central. I couldn't stand it anymore, having to obey their orders, dirtying my hands to research the things I did, and then seeing it used in a civil war to slaughter hundreds of thousands of people. It was an awful war. So many people died. I couldn't make up for my actions if I paid for them for the rest of my life. But still, I try to do what I can. That's why I work here as a doctor. Armstrong asks what he was researching before he left, what he took with him. I was making the Philosopher's Stone, he says. You have the stone? Ed asks, shocked. Marco confirms that he does, and even gets up to pull it out of his cabinet. He holds up a tiny glass vial filled with a red liquid. Ed remarks that it doesn't look like a stone, but when Marco pours it out onto the table, the liquid coalesces into an odd semi-solid orb. The Sage's Stone, the Stone of Heaven, the Great Elixir, the Red Tincture, the Fifth Element... There are many names for the Philosopher's Stone, and it seems it might not be a stone at all, Marco says. He then explains that what he has there is still just an experimental result, an imperfect compound that will someday reach its limits and stop working. But many of these imperfect compounds were secretly used in the war with tremendous success. Ed realizes that that must be what Cornello had as well, and also realizes that the existence of an imperfect compound must mean it's possible to perfect the method. He excitedly asks to see Marco's research, which shocks him. He asks the usual, who the heck is this kid, question and then despairs that someone so young is a state alchemist that anyone would want to become one after the war. Ed, clutching at his arm, desperately insists that he had to, even though he knew it was foolish. I have to achieve my goal, even if it means sleeping on this bed of nails. He and Al tell Marco their story, and though he sympathizes and even thinks Ed might have the skill to complete the Philosopher's Stone, he still refuses to share his knowledge. No one will ever see my research, he says. It's the work of the devil, and it can only lead straight to hell. I've already seen hell, Ed snarls, remembering their human transmutation attempt. Marco looks startled, hesitates for a moment, but still shakes his head. No, he says, please go. As they leave, Marco stares out the window after them, remembering the desperation and despair in Ed's eyes. Back at the train station, Armstrong asks if Ed's okay with how all that went down, pointing out that he could have easily forced Marco to at least give up the stone if he wanted. Ed says that he definitely wanted to, but the idea of taking away what Marco uses to heal the townspeople here just to get his old body back left a bad taste in his mouth, and he and Al agree that they'll just find another way. Ed then asks if Armstrong doesn't have an obligation to report Marco to his superiors, but Armstrong says that the man they met today was just an ordinary town doctor named Morrow, and Ed smiles. We're back to where we started, he says. This road sure is long. Before the train arrives, Dr. Marco appears again, having obviously run to catch them in time. He holds out an envelope to Ed and tells him that he's written down the location where he hid his data. If you can look the truth in the face, then do it, he says. Then you might be able to reach the truth that lies within the truth. He then says that he's said too much and turns to leave, adding that he'll pray for Ed and Al to get their bodies back. 
Armstrong salutes, tears in his eyes, and Ed bows gratefully. Marco returns home, but he doesn't get to relax yet. It's been a while, Marco, Lust calls from the shadows of his darkened home. I was tailing the full metal boy and you just dropped into my lap. Marco throws himself back until he hits the wall, obviously terrified. Lust assures him that she's not there to take him back, because his subordinates are still doing his work quite well without him. Marco is horrified that they're still making philosopher's stones, but she reminds him that they were the ones who taught him how to make them in the first place. Him taking his research didn't slow them down at all, but the fact that someone with Ed's level of knowledge might see it does cause a problem for them. Marco tries to edge for his gun, but Lust's fingernail lance pierces through his shoulder and pins him to the wall in a second. He screams in pain, and she twists at the wound and demands to know where he told Ed the data was hidden. But as the blood pours down his arm, Marco looks grimly satisfied. That boy is smart, he says. When he sees the data, he'll eventually figure out the truth. He'll realize what you and the others are trying to do. Lust says she won't allow that to happen, but Marco grins and says she won't have a choice. You're going to die here, he declares. And Lust's eyes widen in shock as she realizes Marco has used his own blood to draw a rough transmutation circle on the wall behind him. He activates it, and a huge spike emerges and pierces Lust right through the middle. Blood spurts from the wound and leaks from her mouth. Marco starts to gloat, but it's short-lived. How mean of you, says the smirking Lust. Now you've made me die once. She easily cuts away the spike, and her wound heals up quickly with a flash of alchemical light as Marco looks on in horror. I'd forgotten that you're another alchemist who can be used as a human sacrifice, she says, and then wonders what she should do with him. A neighborhood kid then chooses the absolute worst time to come by with flowers for the beloved town doctor, and Lust quickly takes advantage, immediately pinning the girl with a lance at either side of her neck. If I twist my hand even slightly, you know what will happen, don't you? She says to Marco as the girl shakes in terror. Marco yells for her to stop. That child is innocent, but Lust simply smiles. Those aren't the words I want to hear. He hesitates a moment longer, but eventually gives in. The data is hidden in... And then we cut back to Armstrong and the boys for the answer as Ed reads Marco's note. National Central Library, first branch. I see, Armstrong says. If you want to hide a tree, place it in a forest. Their book collection is beyond compare. There must be millions of volumes. Ed and Al are eager to get their hands on concrete information about the Philosopher's Stone. We're on our way, Al says excitedly. Back at Marco's house, Lust is taking her leave. She's letting him live for now, but she gives Marco one final threat. Don't even think about running anywhere else or getting in our way again. If you get any funny ideas, I'll erase this town from the map. She walks down the steps from Marco's house with a satisfied smile. Too bad for the full metal boy, she says. I guess I'll get there first and dispose of the data. And that's the end of chapter eight. Yay. <laughs> I mean, nobody died, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, what, Lust says she, you, you maybe she did die, die once. Lust so did I think die. she did yeah. die. <laughs> you can't even say nobody died this chapter. <laughs> nobody, died, nobody died permanently. <laughs> yeah, that permanent death thing is kind of a downer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, with chapter nine, we finally made it to Rizambul. Yay. We open on an old woman, Panako, fitting a man with a regular leg prosthetic. He praises her work, but quickly refuses when she offers to upgrade him to automail. Sure, it's convenient, but I hear the post-surgical pain is terrible, and the rehabilitation process is really difficult. She basically calls him a wuss, and says she knows a little brat who endured getting automail grafting of his right arm and left leg at the same time. I'm not that brave, says the man, and Panako sees him off. She smokes her pipe for a bit out front until the dog, who also seems to have an automail leg, starts barking. What is it then? Panako asks, and then she grins as she sees who's coming up the road. Winry, she calls back to the house. Our regulars are here. Inside, a teenage girl in mechanics coveralls looks up from her work table with a frown. Back outside, Ed, Al, and Armstrong make their way to the house. Granny Panako, I'm going to need your help again, Ed says with a smile. He introduces Panako to Armstrong, and with such a mountain to compare him to, Panako asks if Ed has gotten shorter. <laughs> this quickly devolves into a shouting match of the two calling each other short in increasingly ridiculous terms. <laughs> 
Inside, the girl Winry is running to join the party, muttering about how she always tells the boys to call before they show up. She arrives on the scene and interrupts the short off by throwing a wrench at Ed's head. <laughs> how many times do I have to tell you to call before you come in for maintenance? She shouts from the balcony. Winry, you jerk, you could have killed me, Ed yells back. But Winry laughs happily and greets them with a cheerful welcome back, and Ed grumps the greeting in return. <laughs> Inside, Winry is horrified to the point of speechlessness over the state of Ed's automail arm. That is, it being completely gone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it got broken, Ed says casually. That was my masterpiece, Winry says, still horrified. A state-of-the-art automail prosthetic. God, just let me see the damage so I can fix it and get you out of here. Yeah, when I said broken, what I meant was smashed to pieces, <laughs> Ed says even more casually, and Winry nearly faints. <laughs> With some wrenchy retribution doled out, she also takes note of Al's state. And what's this? You went and broke Al, too? What kind of lifestyle do you two lead, she asks, which Al nervously laughs off. <laughs> A little later, Winry and Panaco take stock of the work they have to do, with Ed telling them they need to move on as soon as possible to get that Philosopher's Stone data in Central. Panaco notes that in addition to rebuilding his arm, Ed's leg also needs to be adjusted a little for his height, and Winry teases him about having actually grown a little bit. Mm -hmm. Since the arm has to be built from scratch, Ed assumes it will take about a week. Panaco grins smugly. Don't underestimate me. I'll have it for you in three days. They replace his leg with a more rudimentary spare, which Ed takes a moment to get used to standing on, and Winry shoulders the automail piece and starts listing off all the work she'll have to do. It's going to be an all-nighter for sure, she sighs. Ed apologizes, but Winry smiles at him. You want to get to Central as soon as possible, right? Well then, let's see what I can do. Ed blushes a little, but the charm is lost when Winry teases him about paying extra for the rush job and smacks him on the back, which sends him tumbling on the new replacement leg. <laughs> Later, Ed sits outside with Al and the dog, complaining about having to sit around doing nothing for three days. Things have been so rough lately, maybe taking it easy is not such a bad thing, Al says, but Ed fidgets and says he's not the kind of person who takes it easy. <laughs> Al suggests that if he's that bored, he should take the time to go and visit their mother's grave. We're leaving for Central as soon as the automail's finished, right? You shouldn't miss this opportunity to go pay your respects. Ed stares up at the sky. You're right. I guess I'll go over there for a bit. Elsewhere, Armstrong is assisting with household chores by chopping some firewood for Panaco with his fists. The most spectacular way possible, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he reports in with Panaco and asks where Ed has gone, then worries about him wandering alone when Panaco tells him he's gone to visit his mother's grave. But Panaco laughs and says he'll be fine. He's got an excellent bodyguard. And we see that Ed has Dan along for the trip. He walks along the long dirt paths of Resin Bull, stopping now and then to chat with old neighbors and friends on the way to the graveyard. Back at the house, Panaco asks Armstrong if Ed and Al live a peaceful life. She says they don't get much news from the cities out here, and the boys have never written a single letter, so she worries about what they have to deal with out there. Armstrong tells her that the boys have both gotten pretty famous, and that fame brings them trouble. But he also tells her not to worry. Those brothers are strong. Strong, huh? Panaco says with a melancholy smile. We get a brief set of grim flashbacks. Al in his armor body carrying his bleeding brother, begging Panaco for help in the aftermath of their transmutation attempt. A bandaged young Ed determinedly stating that he's going to become a state alchemist, and then Ed enduring the agonizing pain of his automail surgery. I've seen that strength, Panaco says, recounting those events. I wondered where in that little body all that strength was coming from. And because he's so strong, I worry that when he finally does find an obstacle he can't overcome, he won't be able to get back on his feet. They're like grandchildren to you, aren't they, Miss Panaco? Armstrong asks, looking at a pinboard full of photos of the boys and Winry at various ages. Panaco confirms that she's known them since they were born, and their father was an old drinking buddy of hers. Wonder where that man could be after leaving his wife, kids, and this village behind. I don't even know if he's alive or dead. We see Ed standing at his mother's grave. He stares in silence, then looks over the hill to a burnt tree in the distance. Inside, Winry chats with Al as she works. Armstrong and Panaco continue their conversation. He asks where Winry's parents are, and Panaco says they died in the Ishval War. They were surgeons called up to the battlefield because there weren't enough doctors, and they never came back. It was a terrible war, Armstrong says. 
Panaco agrees, but also notes that not everyone who went to war died. A lot just lost limbs, and now they rely on prosthetics engineers like them. Now that's irony, she says. The war that took our family away is the same war that allows us to earn our bread. Armstrong says nothing to that. Panaco looks at the clock and says that speaking of bread, it's time to make dinner. With a laugh, she says that she better make extra with someone as big as Armstrong. And he tries to tell her not to trouble herself, but she waves him off. Food tastes better when you share it with friends, she says. Anyway, those brothers don't have anywhere else to stay. It don't make any difference whether it's two people or three people staying here. Armstrong asks if Ed and Al don't have their own house, since this is their hometown, and Panaco explains that they burned their house down the day Ed got his government license and they began their journey. I don't know much about alchemy, but I can sense that what those boys are trying to do is no ordinary task, she says. They destroyed their own home so that, from that moment on, they could never turn back. Under the burned tree, Ed stares at the blackened ruins of his childhood home. Den sniffs up at him, and he smiles sadly. Let's go, he says. Everyone's waiting for us. I like Den's little sniff sniff. I didn't notice that until you just said it. <laughs> his little <laughs> nose. Is, yeah, Den's a good doggo. He is a good boy. <laughs> or girl. I don't actually know. I think she's actually a girl, although the translation sometimes use he. <laughs> but a couple days later, Ed grimaces in anticipation as Winry and Panaco prepare to reattach his automail. They count to three, and Ed gives a full-body flinch as they turn the wrenches simultaneously. I hate that moment when the nerves get connected, he complains. Winry tells him not to be a baby and has him go through some motion exercises while they test everything. Ed complies and daydreams about how once he finds the Philosopher's Stone, he won't have to deal with any of this pain and trouble anymore. Be a shame. You're our cash cow, says Panaco. <laughs> And Winry wonders why he's in such a rush to be back to normal when Automail is so cool. She gushes about the beauty of Automail for a bit. Ed calls her a nerd, and she calls him one right back. <laughs> Once they get everything attached, Ed stands and stretches and confirms with a grin that everything feels good. Winry starts to lecture him on proper maintenance, telling him that she used steel with a higher percentage of chrome this time to make it more rust-resistant, but also warns him that it'll be less durable. Which Ed mostly ignores, rushing off instead to put Al back together. <laughs> Armstrong looks on as they gather all the broken bits of armor around Al for the transmutation, and Ed points out the rune, drawn in his own blood, that seals Al's soul to the armor. It's a tricky repair, because he has to fix the armor without damaging the rune. Armstrong looks slightly horrified by the whole situation. Ed performs the transmutation, and Al is finally standing again. All right, then, Ed says, tying his hair back into his trademark braid. Shall we? And Al takes an immediate swing at Ed, who quickly dodges. What's this? Armstrong asks as the boys brawl. A brother's quarrel? They explain that they're just sparring to make sure Ed's automail limbs are working like they need to, and for Al to get back the instincts of moving in his body again. Ho-ho, Armstrong says, stripping off his shirt. In that case, let me help you. As usual. Yeah. What are they doing? Winry wonders as she watches from the balcony. <laughs> With the fighting fun done, everyone troops back inside for dinner. They chat and laugh and eat and drink. A happy family meal. Night falls and Ed is asleep on the couch, his shirt riding up over his stomach, which Al exasperatedly scolds him for. <laughs> Panaka laughs that Al is acting like Ed's parent. It's true, he sighs. It's not easy having such a high-maintenance older brother. Winry pulls a blanket over Ed and sits down on the couch by his head. I can hardly tell which one of you is the older brother, she teases. Panaka asks how old they are now, and Al confirms that he's 14 and Ed is 15. It's hard to believe that he's a human weapon, Winry says, laughing. After all, we're the same age, and he's so tiny. <laughs> Al tells them about the Usual miners and how the boss saying that the mines were their homes and their graves is what got Ed to recklessly help them out, and Panaka nods. You guys know better than anyone what it feels like to have a home and then lose it. Al agrees and says how grateful he is to Panaco and Winry for always treating them like family and giving them something like a home to come back to. And he says Ed is too, even if he doesn't say it. At the same time, the reality is that we no longer have the house we were born and raised in, Al adds. They don't regret burning it down, but they feel an overwhelming sadness sometimes. Maybe we could get over it if we just had a good cry, he says with a little laugh. But with this body, I couldn't cry even if I wanted to. And then there's that idiot, who has a body that can cry but won't, Winry says. She looks down at Ed with exasperated fondness. He tries so hard to be tough. 
outside the door and eavesdropping Armstrong is moved to tears. <laughs> Again, this is like the second or third time in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> He's always moved to tears. Yes. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> Early the next morning, Ed Allen Armstrong are ready to move on. They thank Panaco for everything and then ask where Winry is. Panaco says she's still sleeping after pulling so many all-nighters and offers to wake her, but Ed says not to bother. She'd just go on and on about automail maintenance. <laughs> Don't be strangers, Panaco says. Come back sometime when you feel like some good home cooking. Al agrees to that, but Ed scoffs that they wouldn't come out to the middle of nowhere just for a meal. Armstrong chuckles knowingly and remarks on how wonderful it is to have somewhere to come home to. Ed tries to play it cool, saying they just drift from place to place, but he's interrupted by someone calling to him and Al. They look up and see that an exhausted Winry has dragged herself out to the balcony to see them off. See you later, she says with a wave. Ed awkwardly rubs the back of his head, then returns the wave. Later, he says, and Winry smiles. Later, Winry finally wakes up for real, having returned to sleep for most of the day. Panaco tells her to clean her work table, and she does so with a sigh. Every time he comes here, things get so crazy, she says. I don't want to pull any more all-nighters. As she cleans up her table, a single labeled screw rolls out into the open. She picks it up and stares at it. Uh-oh, she says. <laughs> That's the end of chapter nine. I enjoyed that ending yeah. after all the sadness. <laughs> yeah. You know, just another broken arm coming up or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a cheerful, cheerful uh, thing to be looking forward to, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. At least the body count was only one non-permanent death this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess there's something to say about that. Yeah, we can up our uh, our child dismemberment count. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one episode. Yeah. yeah, two chapters. That one child almost got dismembered, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a close thing. Yeah, she seems okay, only mildly traumatized <laughs> by like a woman who can stretch her hands into knives. No big deal. Yeah, she'll only be talking about this in therapy for the next thirty years. Cool. <laughs> Only talking about it during, like, hypnotherapy. She won't talk about yeah. it for, in normal speech. <laughs> anyway, uh, we should probably make a counter for the number of times Armstrong has to take off his shirt in an ep yeah. in a episode or chapter. It was, like, at least two times in the one chapter, in the chapter where they visited um, the Rock Bell house. <laughs> well, speaking of that, one thing I noticed was he looks damn good with, like, a just a, an unbuttoned a shirt. Suit? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when they're all coming back in for dinner, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's a very, I want to see more of that Armstrong, you know? Like, a, not not a fully unhinged, not like, all right, not everything's unhinged. coming off. Just like a, just like a, you know. Yeah, like casual. You open up a little bit, right? It's, yeah. I'm getting a little passionate, but not. <laughs> it's like a, it's like some author's notes where, uh, Arakawa says that like her favorite things to draw are like really buff dudes and really curvy ladies, and so, <laughs> so she says that like Armstrong is one of her favorite characters to draw. Yeah, the only curvy lady we've seen so far is Lust. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I feel like Lust is probably fun to draw because she's stretchy, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever whatever her deal is. Yeah, she can also repair her body with alchemy. Mm -hmm. It seems. <laughs> yeah, conscious or just by automatically, I don't know. You know. Yeah, I always found that. Um... That bit really eerie, where she's just like, you've made me die once. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like, first of all, once, once, like, there's a counter, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like a cat or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they only got nine lives, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> she's just, like, basically automatically back to life. Like, yeah. because she says that immediately after. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to tell <laughs> what gap of time it was, but it was within a very short span of time. Marco didn't... Yeah. 
Yeah, he only had time for like one gloating sentence before <laughs> before she was back. So yeah, it was kind of like a like hard reset. It was like three, two, one. Now she's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And kind of like she talked and then did the thing and removed the thing and whatever. So very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's something new and yeah. horrifying. Mm -hmm. One more horrifying thing to add to this series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does add some like we've seen a lot of like little bits of interesting pieces about like those characters like lust and envy and gluttony. Mm -hmm. And it's like like they're obviously not human. And we've seen like little bits of their inhuman abilities. But now we know they uh, can't die conventionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have to like cut off their heads and stuff with yeah. garlic or something? Like <laughs> silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Bury them in consecrated ground. Mm -hmm. um, they, yeah, that's true. They also seem to have, there's an, a really, not implied, I mean, like it's, there's a relationship between Lust, at least, I guess, and Dr. Marco. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And what's implied is that they had some kind of direct relationship in Dr. Marco's research. Yeah. He says, like, oh, I thought that he said that his he thought his work was like a terrible dream or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and that that so I guess maybe they it's implied that they maybe taught him how to make the Philosopher's Stone or something like that. Or mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys know, but you can't say. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It's certainly implied they have a relationship and that his mm. research was, it's not like it just, it's not like he necessarily didn't have a help, I guess. Yeah. At least that's my speculation. I'm laying, mm. laying it down now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like, like lust and whatever, like us, she refers to, um, definitely had a hand in what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Lust at all. Yes. Lust certainly seems like the leader. I feel like we can confidently, or at least of the us that we've seen so far, whatever they are, mm -hmm. Lust seems to be uh, kind of running the show. Yeah. She's always telling Gluttony what to eat and what not to eat. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've only seen Envy, what, the one time, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. we've only seen Envy one time. It was Lust and Gluttony, the first, mm -hmm. like, in the second or third chapter, I forget. And then, mm -hmm. then Envy the one time, and then just Lust by herself this time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gluttony definitely defers to her, and it seems like, like Envy just seems to at least like listen to like what she's saying, mm -hmm. like their plan is. So. Well, yeah, they have some kind of shared plan at least. Yeah, mm -hmm. whether Lust is the architect or not, it's not clear. But yeah, and I kind of don't think so. But she seems to at least be, have some. Yeah, she seems to be like confidence. <laughs> yeah, she seems to be like putting a lot of it in motion, even if she didn't come up with the, <laughs> the plan herself. And she's watching the uh, watching, keeping tabs on Ed at least. Mm -hmm. And like we, we talked about last time how there, it seems like Ed and well, Ed and Al's situation is special but Ed in particular has been noted a couple of times to be considered to be very smart. Like the show Tucker said, oh I guess geniuses do exist and even Dr. Marco said something about him being smart this time too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Lush said in the hands of a normal person the information about the Philosopher's Stone wouldn't matter much but in Ed's hands it's I don't know. A threat mm -hmm. to their plan, I guess. Yeah. She didn't specify that. That's just what it was implied by what she said. <laughs> mm -hmm. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, she said, like, it could be a problem for us or something. So. It could could be a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this I was like, when did this turn into, like, is it North by Northwest? That's this the spy movie? Hold on, wait. Am I crazy? <laughs> I was like, when did this turn into a spy movie, essentially? <laughs> yeah, North by Northwest. Blah, blah, blah. Spy thriller film. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point is, <laughs> when she's on the train, I was like, when did this become North by Northwest? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
My joke is landing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It only took uh, two minutes of explanation. I just had to check. I had to, yeah, I had to read the description to explain it. It doesn't mean it's a good joke. When did this become Austin Powers? Is that a... (laughs) When did it become... What's a relevant James Bond movie that you would know? Skyfall? Skyfall. (laughs) It's the most recent one, right? (laughs) I think there's even one after that. I can't remember. I can never uh, remember. Must be the one anyone cared about. <laughs> yeah, the one with that Adele sang the theme song for. That's yes. what matters most, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that whole exchange between Lust and Doctor Marco was very interesting. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of intrigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Once again, we don't have a lot of answers, but we have a lot of open questions. More open questions mm-hmm. were added, like, what yeah. the hell, for example. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why they do that? Yeah, what? But like, how she how she re reanimate herself with alchemy though, yeah. and like, what the fuck did he do? And like, what is his research that he hid mm-hmm. in the library, which is also interesting. It is a good tactic. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, Lust has a head start, unfortunately. So, mm-hmm. I guess we'll just have to see what happens next time. Yeah, I've been so sad when they're all like, "Yeah, we're gonna get the philosopher's mm-hmm. stone." on our way and then lust is like yep i'm gonna go destroy that it's the same page too where there's a side a panel of lust she's like i guess i just have to get there first and then ed's on the train like yeah (laughs) like it's so good (laughs) and by so good i mean so (laughs) heart-wrenching i mean also it's it was not exactly the same but a similar sad scene which is completely unrelated is like when uh pinaco is talking to armstrong about how strong they are and then you flip the page and it goes into that awful flashback mm-hmm. where he comes in i was yeah. like save my brother and you're like oh oops mm-hmm. we were just talking about something nice for once yeah. <laughs> i was like oh oh no yeah okay like it continues to get more horrifying like every time we see like more of that the flashback. same scene <laughs> yeah yeah that's true we still haven't seen the actual what the result of the transmutation was yet but there was another flash of the transmutation circle and the like mm-hmm. bloody arm or bloody hair or something yeah once again mm-hmm. i don't know if i want to see but <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> but yeah exactly and then uh well i don't know i don't know if maybe we should keep finish talking about lust and dr marco if there's anything else to say mm-hmm. first but yeah i thought it was interesting how dr marco also seems to be more religious he said a couple of things like um uh, he said, like, his work will only lead to hell, and he calls lust you oh, devil, yeah. and he's like, I'll pray for the day when you can return your bodies mm-hmm. to normal. Um, I feel like we met a lot of alchemists who, uh, at least certainly we have Edward's perspective, where he's like, alchemy is objective, it's science, and whatever. And then, mm-hmm. in his case, it was a little, uh, his feelings about things were a little more nuanced, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely uses a lot of the, the terminology, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Calling it, like, the devil's work. And- mm-hmm. He calls Lust you devil. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty apropos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how uh, you pointed, you said in your summary that he, when he says you're still making those horrible things, that they, he says they're still making the Philosopher's Stone um, or Philosopher's Stones, which I thought was interesting because that's, I interpreted it as being something else. But mm-hmm. anyway, I, I don't know what, but something. Yeah. But I guess the Philosopher's Stone. It is read it that way because Lust is like, we're the but ones we're who taught you to make the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I know, it's just interesting because I didn't interpret that. Uh, what I'm saying yeah. is I didn't interpret that way and you did. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess it's interesting that the, we can see the Philosopher's Stone isn't just necessarily a stone, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. Like, the, like pouring out the liquid and it becomes that weird little sort of like 
it's like um, mercury jello, like yellow cube <laughs> i like how he pokes it too yeah yeah <laughs> it's a boba of of, of goo <laughs> philosopher's stone jello shot <laughs> <laughs> like that's really what they're doing at the doctor's office they're like yes. then he gave me a jello <laughs> shot and my leg was healed and he was like, oh <laughs> It's kind of interesting that he, I guess it is like Cornello or whatever. You have to like do alchemy, but you use it as like a, mm -hmm. uh, like catalyst, a catalyst. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It lets you like bypass the laws of alchemy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're like, and then with a flash of light, all of my wounds were healed. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> like how we get a bit of the whole, uh, like we talked about the whole like, well, you're still alive, like do something with it kind of ideas in previous chapters and how we kind of see that from Marco too where he says like oh yeah he says like I couldn't like make up for what I did if I paid my whole life but mm -hmm. I'm trying to do something good like by being the doctor here it is interesting that he so we've seen a lot of like reactions to the the civil war but mm -hmm. I think this is the first time we've seen like just straightforward like regret about mm -hmm. what was done and his involvement where he's like my research like you know, killed a bunch of people or whatever. I'll never be able to like make up for it. And mm -hmm. he also is sort of like angry that Edward would want to join the military too, mm -hmm. which is also the first time we've seen that perspective from, especially yeah. from a ex-military person or a for current military person. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think I think at the mine, you know, he was being called a dog of the military and all mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. other people definitely have resentment towards the military. But I think mm -hmm. yeah, definitely the first time from someone who was military mm -hmm. and um i think definitely for different reasons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah like sort of the knowing that they've had a a, a sorted past that um he can't get over mm -hmm. yeah as opposed to just being like this is just straight up wrong which is kind of like the usual minds people versus yeah. him being like i can't believe after like knowing all that you know or know that knowing what happened that you would join the that somebody would still want to join the military, mm -hmm. I guess, especially like an alchemist like him. Yeah. Like Marco. Yeah. Also like his like, like explicit, like extra horror at like a child. Yes. Being like joining the military and becoming a state alchemist. I think one of the like, I don't know if it's like a theme, but a, I guess a motif or something that kind of comes up in these two chapters a lot, which we've sort of seen before. But more so in these two was the fact that they're children, like at yeah. all, right? Yeah. Um, I was actually going to mention that the the very yeah. first, well, I think second page where you see him sitting with Armstrong, just the <laughs> contrast between the two. I'm like, oh yeah, he's, mm -hmm. he's a kid. He's a teeny tiny child. Yeah, you kind of forget that. I mean, I think it's an issue with a lot of anime. You'll see, you know, yeah. a 14 year old and be like, oh yeah, they're like 20 something or something, right? Still in high school, still in middle mm -hmm. school, but they're 20s, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think the same thing happened when I was watching the show is that, yeah, they mentioned that he's a kid and all that, but that a lot of times doesn't sort of show itself, yeah. right? You know, mm -hmm. he's just another character in the story who's badass and all that. And like, <laughs> it just kind of, you kind of forget that no, he's 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they it's finally confirmed his age, yeah. too, in this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something I like about Fullmetal Alchemist, like, um, it'll come up more down the line, but, like, just that it actually does kind of stop and go, like, this is a child mm -hmm. <laughs> in the army. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. think about that. Yeah. Like, yes. A while, so. <laughs> you just remember he's a tiny child in the, yeah. in the army. Mm -hmm. And that he, like, he, like, he joined, he chose to do it himself, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And they let well, him. I, <laughs> yes, and they let him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's the horrifying part. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I think so. At least from his response, it seems like he sort of knew what he was getting into. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he thought I mean, so maybe, for sure. Maybe not, yeah, yeah, maybe not to to the extent, but he sort of uh, what is it like? Uh, I'll sleep on this bed of nails if I have to, or something. Mm -hmm. That represents sort of the equivalent exchange theme, because uh, mm -hmm. he has to sort of sell his humanity a bit in order to get his humanity back. Mm -hmm. Same for you know, for Al. Yeah, and so. I wonder if maybe that's sort of how he saw it. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, how that sort of plays a part in his willingness to join the military and all that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the, like, the idea of equivalent exchange definitely informs a lot of his thought process even beyond alchemy, just like from what we've seen about, like, the way he talks to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting idea. I guess he, I think the thing about him being a child in the military is the thing of him not knowing like maybe he has an expectation it's like yeah i knew people mm -hmm. would like he said it before like he's like i knew people would hate me for joining the army but i didn't realize they'd hate me this much and stuff like mm -hmm. that yeah so yeah you know like i think he probably had like kind of an abstract idea of like oh some people resent the military for this reason and that reason but is you know still continuing to like learn the actual experience extent of that as mm -hmm. he like actually lives it yeah, and having to deal with, like, crime scenes and, like, yeah. you know, just like, yeah. <laughs> other horrible things. Like, he he wasn't in – he wasn't – they say that – um I mean, actually, they said in this one that Rezimbul was, like, you know, damaged significantly during the Civil War. But it's not like he was in the military during the Civil War. Like, he doesn't have the same experience mm -hmm. as, like, people like Roy Mustang and Armstrong and whatever, um, yeah. in theory. So this is his, like – those the crimes and things that we've seen i feel like are his experiences i mean he argues that he's like i've seen hell already from like their horrible the human transportation mm -hmm. but which is probably true but yeah but he was really yeah, upset by nina so it's kind of like yeah you know? i think it's like like he's seen some some bad shit but he hasn't seen war yeah which yeah. is what a lot of the characters have in their backstories mm -hmm. that's what it seems like it, mm -hmm. It's not clear how Rosenbull was involved in the Civil War, but yeah. it doesn't seem like he he's been in that situation. Mm -hmm. I like how we're getting a lot of like Ishval War stuff in these like last several chapters. Yeah. Like not any kind of like direct like look at it, but we're getting a lot of different like perspectives of it. Yeah, everyone kind of talks around it, but because mm -hmm. we've gotten the uh, the military characters in the previous chapters talking about it, and then we get like. Some of Armstrong, who is military, but like a little, he has a seems to have a little different perspective from the other ones, mm -hmm. and then like Panaco's point of view. Yeah, about when Marco's parents. point of view. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot about the way that Araka tells this story. Like in general, it's not just about the Ishvalan War. That is like a main. That's a a thing that has been coming up a lot, but about other things too, like about Ed being a child in the military. Mm -hmm. Like we have little bits of that perspective that have come through and just like yeah. the military in general like mm -hmm. you know we had the miners like we keep bringing up all these like little things that were just like in one conversation um and then yeah. even the things with like lust and co like mm -hmm. in in a very small interaction there'll be like one or two little things that get dropped that are slowly building up the picture which i think is really nice mm -hmm. but yeah i appreciate the yeah. idea that there are so many different perspectives and feelings about something so Mm -hmm. you know yeah i was thinking about that with um like during like panaco and armstrong's conversation especially in the in chapter nine because like that's basically like a big exposition dump mm -hmm. but like the way it's framed like where it's like a lot of it you already kind of knew 
but like getting the perspective of like Panako in particular and seeing it like over the different scenes when she talks like mm-hmm. that's true like it doesn't like it doesn't feel like a like here's what you missed on Glee kind of uh, <laughs> situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's like okay like what you missed is like this terrible thing Ed now does this terrible thing and like mm-hmm. oh yeah the um Winry's parents are dead and mm-hmm. they burned down their house. Like this is the first time they mentioned burning down the house, right? Mm-hmm. Um so and like yeah, and also that Ed and Al's father's gone. That's a new yep. fact that was just yeah. dropped in that conversation. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you're totally right. It doesn't feel like that, but it's it would be different if it was like Ed or Al talking about it. Then it would probably mm-hmm. feel like exposition or Winry was like, Oh, I've missed my parents haven't been back since the Civil War or whatever, you know? Like yeah. it would feel so different, but because it's Pinaco's perspective, it's it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like that. Which is yeah. an interesting storytelling choice. Mm-hmm. And just like a nice storytelling choice, like props to yeah. Arakawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As usual. And yeah. And Panaka's perspective is an interesting one because she's kinda like bluntly accepting of like everything that's happened like like she says a lot of things like in a way that like you can see armstrong's kind of like speechless he doesn't know how to respond to it like mm-hmm. the bits where she, like especially the bit where she's like like the war that took away our family is what like allows us to earn our, <laughs> earn oh, our yeah. living and he's just like mm. mm. yes yeah, like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean but that's an interesting perspective in and of itself too where it's mm-hmm. like uh yeah, I don't. I don't even know how to describe it. It's yeah. So yeah, bluntly accepting and just like yeah. Well, it is what it is. Like we got to make money. We make money with prosthetics. Like we have mm-hmm. a good business now because of people who need prosthetics. Like yeah. Yeah, another bit that also struck me is like when she's talking about Winry's parents dying. She like says like Winry's parents, my son and his wife. Like it's like you're like oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're not just Winry's parents. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For son. Mm-hmm. And also, I think what's interesting is, like, I don't know, they didn't show a lot. Like, there wasn't a lot of, um, there was only, like, two pages of the flashback with Ed and Al. Um, and it was, and it went through their whole time that they were there very quickly because it was, like, him coming and then, like, a scene of Ed being, like, I want to join the military. And then a scene of Ed with it after the recovering from the prosthetic surgery, right? Like, it was, that was all that was shown in those panels, but... And we just get a very brief reaction of, of Pinaco's where she, like, you see the pipe, like, fall out of her mouth and Winry's like, ah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Kevin McAllister style. I just stick to it. But, like, I mean, she's, it seems like she just kind of accepted that Ed was going to join the military where she's just like, okay, like, mm-hmm. and just was like, yeah, he's like, I need you to give me an arm and a leg. And she's just like, I, like, I, you know, it's very painful, which is what we learned this time. Mm-hmm. and like obviously we didn't get that full reaction but i feel like you get the sense that she was just like okay like if you if that's what you want you know like mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know i'm sure i i hope and i feel like there'll be more detail on that later but like just the, the fact that she was like yeah i don't know where all that strength came from it was kind of like it seems like she was just kind of like like this is gonna like okay fine like that's what you want then we'll do it mm-hmm. kind of and fix them up and stuff fixed up well, not yeah. not Al, but fixed up Ed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Without, she's like, I don't really understand alchemy or whatever, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like she took care of them, I feel like, practically, I guess. Yeah. I feel like that's a, what her character is like, you know. Mm-hmm. I forgot how painful the automail surgery is slash must be. Mm-hmm. And when they show, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
and Ed said it was hurting before, like I get in a couple episodes ago or like last couple chapters ago. Mm-hmm. I guess it's still something that continues to give him pain. Like that's the implication, I guess. Yeah. And it like causes pain when they like reattach the nerves mm-hmm. when he has to get it repaired and stuff. Yeah. So like every time they fix it up or whatever. Yeah. Every time he breaks it or throws a couple inches. <laughs> yeah. In his case, yeah, because he's still a little a wee child. So yeah. Yeah, I liked the like detail of the scene where they're like, well, she's like measuring his feet and mm-hmm. and she's like, Oh yeah, your like auto mail needs to adjust. And you're like, Oh right, he's still a tiny child. It's gotta be adjusted probably yeah. pretty often. Especially yeah. if he's like a teenager. So Yeah. Yeah, I like how like like the amount of detail that goes into like something as fantastical as like auto mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and then like you like, like, <laughs> when like you don't get a ton out. of detail. Yeah, like you don't get a ton of detail in this chapter, but you're just like as you look at it, you're like, yeah, that looks like it could work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, she just so it's like very treated. like you can tell that it's thought out where she's and like uh, I feel like Winry gives us that opportunity because she's like, well, and then I used like a high chrome thing so that it doesn't rust and like mm-hmm. and did this thing and she's like the whirring of fake muscles and like the mm-hmm. like she kind of like describes it a little bit. And gives us that picture, which is nice. Yeah. I like how Ed, like, stretches it. I was like, mm-hmm. I was looking at that while you were doing the summary this time. And I was like, why would he need to stretch it? But, I mean, I guess there's, like, fake muscles. Like, I guess there's some kind of thing in there that you have to, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that you have, yeah. I have to feel like that's just kind of, like, the natural, like, human thing of, like, even if it doesn't, like, do anything. Like, that's <laughs> what you do when you have, like, a like a limb that feels funny and you're like trying to make it feel normal again i mean he's probably also stretching his back but (laughs) but it's just yeah it is funny it's kind of like it probably is just like the natural thing and then they have to have they have to spar (laughs) not that train mr q again (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i could have said like we started off on a train again but (laughs) no what Uh, what a missed opportunity (laughs) <laughs> should have a starting off in the train counter for <laughs> the chapters i think the next one i creeped ahead and it starts in a train station also so. <laughs> speaking of trains i don't know if the train is gone but did you notice in on less newspaper it said like um yeah british high commander murder is oh, that, is that what, what it said, said? I I read yeah, British Naval like, Commander. I think it's his naval commander. Oh, maybe that that's makes true. so oh, that much sense. sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I can't tell what that word is, but yeah, I feel like it's just like like she copied a page in English that from that time period, like mm-hmm. <laughs> from World yeah, War Because I, I don't think Britain exists in. <laughs> from that's why I was world. curious. I was like, are we in like <laughs> <Yeah>. Europe? <laughs> It's it's clearly like an AU Europe or some kind, but yeah, yeah. I just I noticed gonna, that. <laughs> I was gonna ask if because uh, it looks like it's handwritten, not like typeset or anything. Yeah, it looks like so. it's drawn in. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was also like that in the Japanese version too, so it's not translated. Just in case, okay. I was curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I know we have a lot. We get some like English text in like even the original because like the the language of. Uh, I don't even know if it said the country, but it's called a mistress. Um, oh. the, lang- the language of a mistress is English, oh. so, which like we see like all the documents and stuff are in English mm. and signage. That's true. I think there was signage in the Use Well chapter, one of the early chapters that was in English. I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean, respect. I would not want to take the time to write all my background <laughs> details in a language I don't <laughs> speak natively. So. No, definitely mad respect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just saw a note in my notes that I forgot to mention, but Al specifically said he's happy to be treated like a kid. Um, mm-hmm. 
in the the first chapter at some point. I forget. I was yeah. Like, oh. Also treated like a like cargo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He right. like happily says like this is the first time I've been treated as a kid since I got in the armor, and then like two minutes later he's like this is the first time I've been treated as luggage. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how Armstrong's like I thought he might be lonely back there. <laughs> yeah. I love I love the panel of him just surrounded by sheep. <laughs> I mean, it's better company than 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 suitcases. <laughs> Speaking of Al, I thought it was interesting, and I definitely forgot to check what it's called in Japanese. But I thought it was interesting how they said how Ed says that the thing on his uh, inside his armor is a rune, the thing that's drawn. <laughs> I always thought of it as like an alchemy circle, but mm-hmm. it seems like it. There's an implication that it's yeah. different. I guess is what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. or my what I'm positing. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's just different words for it because I think it's meant to be like an alchemy symbol. It has a weird. Like, I think I've uh, seen it called like a sigil too. Yes, mm-hmm. like in different translations. So, but I think if you look up alchemy circle in Wikipedia, that it's described as a sigil also. Yeah, because like a sigil is like a thing that's in a circle, I guess. But yeah, but yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, it does look unique though. Yeah, it has that weird little like squiggle mark seen, in yeah. the middle, and it does have like <laughs> triangles and stuff. But it's drawn in blood. Yeah, I mean that's the most important part. <laughs> Yeah. I like how like it looks like it's drawn in blood too. Like it has the Yeah, it really does. It's thick. With mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it has that kind of like finger painty look of like Yeah, like the way that Marco drew on the wall too. It looks the same. Or like mm-hmm. looks similar. Yeah. I mean it's pretty straight, but it's also the the thing that the sigil yeah, but inside if, is everyone in Bulmachus is really good at drawing circles. Drawing so. geometric shapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You would think after a lot of practice you would be. Yeah. <laughs> but like I can tell I'm just looking at the one on the cover here, this one. And you mm-hmm. can see that it's like the bottom triangles are a little bit shorter than the top and stuff. Like it's slightly off yeah. in this geometry, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Yeah. I like the fact that there's a doggo in this story. Mm-hmm. Yes. With a prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always a very nice little touch. You know that these can be used for animals as well, and mm-hmm. automail doggo. Yeah, I like the dog. I like how like 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 she's just like is a good dog. Like yes. walking with Ed, and like I mean, you can also tell that like it. I think it adds to like Ed and Elle's relationship with the dog adds to their sort of like perception of Winry and Pinaco being their like family, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the dog's clearly close to them. Yeah, yeah, I really like how much like unstated stuff there is that just shows that like yeah, this is their hometown. They grew up here. Mm-hmm. Stuff like, like, like the people that like stop Ed on his way to the graveyard to chat with him, and and like yeah, the dog recognizing them and like going up to greet them. And even in the first chapter, I love uh, like when Ed's describing Risible and he starts up being like, yeah, it's just a boring little town or whatever. But he has this like obviously like fond smile as he's like, yeah, that's our hometown. Like. His whole sort of like perspective, I mean, his whole sort of like uh, behavior in that second chapter is kind of like that, where mm-hmm. like Al is like, I know he never says it, but he really appreciates that we can come back here. And mm-hmm. and when he's leaving, Ed's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when, yeah. And when he's like, bye, he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, <laughs> and he's, mm-hmm. but they all know that he's really ha- like happy deep down, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of moments of him like trying to play it cool and then getting like undercut with like how like familiar and like you know happy everyone like, is oh he's like, actually so. grown good for you mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for example mm-hmm. i wonder if it has anything to do with um 
you know, they burnt down their house, so they have nowhere to turn back to, but they clearly mm-hmm. do have some place that they can co- go back yeah. if they need to. And yeah, I think, said too. Uh, I think Ed is, may not sort of want to, maybe, maybe trying to avoid that thought, you know, mm-hmm. so, so that he can stay determined and, you know, yeah. keep telling himself that he has to, that there's no going back and all that. Yeah, it seems like he kind of, um, we never see, well, We've seen him be, like, upset, but not about those kinds of things, I think. Like, not about the fact that they're on their own or that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not being discouraged about the fact that they... He's usually, like, excited about the prospect of fixing their bodies, but not discouraged at the fact that they don't have their bodies, I guess, if that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. That's how I feel, like, it's sort of... He's portrayed. Yeah. Except for when Al had to sass him last chapter or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After Scar beat him up and almost killed him. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... It, he's not without issues, though, because we saw his nightmare also. So we know that yeah. he's kind of trying to play it cool. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, deep down, I guess he still has a lot of feels. Yeah. He's a child. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're not unfounded. Mm-hmm. His, his father's gone. His mother's dead. He's missing half his body. And his brother is a yeah. soul in a suit of armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has some things to be upset about, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Edward That's and some, yeah, oh. some stuff to work through. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but he's just very focused on the fix, like mm-hmm. addressing the physical challenges yeah. and stuff, and getting his more probably more so his brother's body back. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely more focused on like the immediate physical things he <laughs> thinks he can fix rather than the emotional trauma. You know, it's Maslow's hierarchy. It's like arms and legs are at the bottom, and then yeah. self actualization <laughs> is at the top, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like, um, we didn't get to see, well, we got to see a good amount of Winry, but I guess, like, it's mm-hmm. the relationship that Ed and Winry have is really funny to me. Like, mm-hmm. they're, also, they're both so sassy to each other. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I love the mix of, like, I have a problem with a lot of um, relationships, and we haven't seen that much of it yet, but um, where they're, they're like, oh, they, they fight all the time, but that just means they love each other. And it's like, this is, like, obviously friendly bickering. Like, you can tell that they're, like, yeah. like they've been around each other for years and, like, like argue for fun yes. because like like it's not serious they just like it's fun to argue with each other about stupid things yeah like, <laughs> yeah i know i i agree with you i feel like those kinds of relationships are like not real and mm-hmm. bad like you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. like nobody who fights with somebody all the time actually that doesn't mean that you love them you know yeah and like yeah ed and winry um ed clearly like blushes and stuff like it's very mm-hmm. underplayed but mm-hmm. they're definitely shippable so yeah um but yeah like yeah. and like the like their little like like automail geek alchemy yeah, yeah, yeah. exchange like that's, they've obviously done that like a hundred times yeah. like <laughs> i feel like that's the one that where you're like okay yeah like they're just teasing and they know each other really yeah. well they have kind of like a brother sister kind of relationship um mm-hmm. or like kind of a whatever just like people who really know each other well like after you've yeah, known someone that long <laughs> yes might be awkward if they had a brother and sister relationship, but yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what happens at the end with them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know what happens at the end, but I mean, <laughs> you can tell because he's trying to shrug her off that he loves her. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as we stated about the trope. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I think what it is is obvious that they care about each other and they have like a long. They have clearly have this long-standing relationship, and yeah, um, you know, they've clearly. Like Winry and Pinaco helped the Ed. They keep Ed alive. Like it's kind yeah. of a, they have a close relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also like how like 
even though Ed very much doesn't say it to their faces, like he obviously really respects what they do. Mm-hmm. Like, like the bit at the beginning of like chapter eight when he's explaining like what automatic mechanics are. Where Armstrong's like, so what about? It's like, so what's this mechanic we're going to see? And he's like, well, actually, <laughs> actually, way more than that. Yeah, man, <laughs> listen mm-hmm. up, Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not just making prosthetics. They're like surgeons, yo. Yeah. <laughs> Neurosurgeons, yo. <laughs> That's my so huge that, ad impression. I mean, <laughs> that that literally just occurred to me is that the the composition of his his automail arm just changed. It's like chrome now or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when he transmutes it to you know into the weaponry that he often does, that's a whole other like material you're using and all that. I don't know. Like, yeah, I wonder like how deep your understanding of the composition of an object has to be, like, in order to do alchemy. Like, can you just be like, it's made of metal, and that's good <laughs> enough? Or do you have to be like, oh, it's it's got this much iron and this much whatever? And... Yeah, I don't know. So far, so far, what we've seen. I mean, the only person who we saw who couldn't transmute something successfully the first shot was Scar. Mm-hmm. But he seems sort of untrained, so it's a little bit hard to tell, yeah. right? And he was also able to, like, destroy it when he knew it was... Metal. ...an artificial yeah. arms, mm-hmm. which, like, I doubt he knows the exact composition of... Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Male, it seems so. to just kind of be, like, general. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. this probably has more like... of this thing. You know, dirt mm-hmm. has a lot of silica. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Like, maybe you just become that experience that you, like, know that much stuff. Or it could be, like, a more, like, old-school version of, like, composition of things where it's like the five elements yeah which is like metal and wood and yeah 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 and yeah ed transmuted the pipe out of metal and then opened it to control the water or whatever so it's not like he made Mm -hmm. water like come through the wall or something i guess like yeah come from the wall which i guess you wouldn't be able to do i I don't know yeah (laughs) yeah only if it was a nice wall (laughs) (laughs) yeah well like technically roy makes that's how roy makes fire is using the oxygen Mm -hmm. in the air right yeah but then, like he can't make, yeah, I don't know, he can't make spark when it's raining, which is a little bit different, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think he still, like, he controls the oxygen in the air, but he needs mm-hmm. to have that spark in order to sort of, yeah, he basically makes it. a tra- yeah. uh, a path for that flame to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he lights the the spark, and it just goes there, you know. Yeah, so. he's actually mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, he needs like a spark, just like a, a propane tank. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's basically a human propane tank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy with my analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Or he uses the world as his propane tank, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) The world is my propane tank. (laughs) Do you mean oyster? No. No, no, I meant propane tank. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if we'll... Well, like, maybe we can deduce from more examples later, Mm -hmm. like, how knowledgeable you need to be about the... what you're actually transmuting. Because right now it seems like you have some kind of knowledge. Well, I mean, yeah. for the human transmutation, right? He listed every single well because yeah, they needed the, to have it elements. like, but they needed to have there, all the yeah, elements there true. to do it. Just like, yeah. like mm-hmm. the another question would be like, could you transmute a body from another yeah, guess, body? Like, mm-hmm. if yeah. they had, it's like making yeah. something like very specific, like a human body. You would, like require all the like elements there. Whereas if you're just like, I need something shaped like this, made out of whatever I have. Like, yeah, like. I can retransmute like this glass into something else that's glass or like yeah. sand. I could turn it into dirt, but like I can't yeah, turn it into like, a human. Like Marco just needed a <laughs> spike, no matter what it was made of. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it happened to be made of stone. So yeah, but it's like you—he's not trying to turn the stone into gold. 
It was just yeah, you exactly. trying to create something specific. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe maybe it's like if you're using it just for structure, like structural change, cosmetic changes, you don't need to know as much. But if you're using it for it's like a function, right? Like maybe how you, you know mm -hmm. that oxygen is flammable, so you need to know exactly where the oxygen is in that structure or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, and how much um, there is, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The only other thought I'm thinking of is the radio that they fixed in the very, I think that's the very first transmutation you see, isn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. um, like there's wires in there and those wires do stuff. And there's like wood right. too. Yeah. Wood, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, but if you're know? like, you're making a radio from a broken radio, so like you already know all the parts of the radio are there. Yeah. So you don't have to like know like the exact composition like, of a radio. I mean, I, it, it wasn't clear how extensively it was broken either. Was it snatched? Mm -hmm. Hold on, wait. Yeah, it just. Um, I think it. Yeah, just kind of like crashed a bit. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't remember. No, I think it was in, in uh, a couple of pieces. Mm -hmm. Oh, you like opened a big... child dismemberment. Here's the radio. <laughs> oh, it had birds on it too. Did he translate <laughs> the birds? <laughs> um. If it was Ed, he'd probably turn them into dragons. <laughs> <laughs> he turned them into birds with little versions of his face on it. Yeah. Okay, wait, there it is back to normal. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it's in it looks like he basically is just like I mean, he repaired it and fixed the fused the case back together. Hold on, wait. Mm -hmm. Here. Can you see? Yeah. And sorry, it's kind of purple. <laughs> <laughs> the lights reflecting mm -hmm. off a purple thing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. like you can like see it's got some like pieces out of place. Yeah, there's pieces that. out of place and then there's like the shell is cracked. So it's more almost like a repair rather than like he didn't make a radio, he just yeah. like used the magic to put it back, back together. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, another thing like slightly tangential is like I like the um, how there's sort of a, like an order of complexity in the like alchemy circles we see where mm -hmm. like more simple transmutations like the one Marco does to, with the spike like it's a really simple circle it's just got like a square, square. inside a circle inside like there was a little tiny triangle yeah. yeah Al's was whereas, probably like, more the... complicated because he's also not as skilled mm -hmm. I think right mm -hmm. yeah whereas like like if you look at like the uh the human transmutation like the soul crazy. the soul sigil and the yeah. human transmutation sigil are much more complicated Roy's is pretty complicated too you can see it on the front mm -hmm. cover too got a couple triangles yeah and also a salamander, important. Yes. Something that I found, at least especially in the, the chapter 9, but even chapter 8 a little bit, they're definitely a lot more lighthearted, more relaxed than the previous chapters that we read um, right mm -hmm. before it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, especially chapter 9 at uh, in the Risen Bull, you know, there's a lot of comedic effects and stuff like that, but they still jump right into it with mm -hmm. some very deep heavy stuff yeah and it's just um yeah i don't know it's just very well put together that you know even mm -hmm. in something a little bit lighthearted, that's sort of just past the time you get so much information um mm -hmm. and all that yeah yeah like i know i've said it already but like arco's ability to like turn from comedy to pathos like on a dime is just like really impressive to me it is very impressive and like you don't even it's like you don't even realize that it's happening, you know, mm -hmm. until you're reading it. Yeah, like you're not like that was jarring. You're just like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sad now. Oh wait, yeah, I was just happy a couple minutes ago. 
Yeah, like yeah. the scene with like, the you, like you go from like Armstrong. Yeah, like you go from like Armstrong chopping wood with his fist yes. to like two page to like two pages later is Al holding his like bleeding to death. Yes, brother. like I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, and you don't even like you don't even know that it's coming, and like you don't even mm-hmm. you're not like oh man, two seconds ago I was watching him chop wood with his fist. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh we're yeah. doing. I think she's she's a master of the page flip too. Like there's a lot of like you flip the page and you're just like oh oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you look closely though the panel behind Pinocchio gets really dark it was like filled in dark but I definitely didn't notice it until after I like looked back or I was like oh mm-hmm. that was a warning but it was like literally yeah. one tiny <laughs> panel in the corner <laughs> should have known better mm-hmm. <laughs> also like oh, flipped to the page and then I saw Al and I was like what's he ho- oh no oh no <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> And then I was like, oh, this is like dark bordered. I should have been aware. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ed looks so tiny in that panel. Like, yeah. Probably like half the size he is now. And he's yeah. so tiny now. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, it's also like in contrast to Al, Al never changes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. And I love how like, like Al seems so like lost and young in that panel too, even though he's, you know, a giant suit like of armor. Six? But, I thought they said it was six or seven years ago. I thought it was three or four. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he would have been. I think they were like somewhere nine. between 10 and 10 and yeah. like nine, 10, 12. Nine and 12 in that nine, range. Nine to 11. <laughs> they tried it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like a uh, fourth grader and a fifth grader, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Something in that range. Yeah. Too young. Yeah. Too young. <laughs> <laughs> the world story is too and, young. And going back to how they were children i mean he's what 15 now yeah mm-hmm. a freshman yeah 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 so and sophomore if you had a cusp birthday <laughs> <laughs> yeah like me and caleb the youngins yeah. yes <laughs> actually you probably were too aren't you because I, I was on the youngest the youngest i was born in september yeah we're all the youngins anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay any other things to talk about more things to divulge from our past i mean <laughs> I feel like we're good. We more just have more traumatic questions. Flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not from my past. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't try to transmute a, a loved one? Nope. I didn't <laughs> buy my, use my allowance to buy all the spare chemicals to make a human and then try to transmute yeah. them and have to make a deal for my brother's soul. <laughs> Can't say that it's something that happened to me. <laughs> and I have no right to comment on it. I mean,. <laughs> <laughs> That's outside my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, everyone satisfied? Then? I'm satisfied. Yeah, that was great. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. We're going to be reading chapters ten and eleven. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Do the homework. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Thanks all for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Young Ed stating that he's going to become a straight alchemist. Uh, straight alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just become straight. <laughs> I'm getting a call from potential spam. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I mean, at least they oh, call Mr. it like spam. it is. Spam. Yeah. Antron. I know that man. <laughs> Mr. Spam. <laughs> <laughs>
He's like, please call me potential. <laughs> <Mr. Smith. laughs> 